Hey, what's up guys? You are listening to The M Word. My name is Michael Pullman. I hope you are doing well. Day 6, I believe, of the lockdown here in New Zealand. But never fear, we are here to entertain you. You can find this podcast on anchor.fm forward slash Michael Pullman podcast. That is anchor.fm forward slash Michael Pullman podcast. Today, I'm going to be having a chat to Hugh Bainham. Now, he is a basketball media extraordinaire. Uh, somebody who you, the listeners, uh, Aidan McLaughlin actually, um, said to me, hey, you've you got to get this guy on your show. you 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 got to get him on. He's going to be a, a good chat. And, uh, yeah, it turned out that Hugh already followed me on Twitter. So I reached out and he said, yeah, sure, I've got nothing to do, obviously, because of COVID-19. So, yeah, I, I got him on the show and we had a chat all about his his journey, as that's what we do here on the podcast. I talked to him about how he got started in the media business. Um, turned out he, he travelled to New Zealand um, his, his love for sport, rugby, and how he went from that to journalist to uh, television presenter slash commentator slash producer. So, yeah, really good chat. Hugh Bainan, uh, big part of Sky's coverage of the Breakers and obviously the NBL. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to, to get his story. So I hope you enjoy the listen. I will stop rambling now and we will play the intro, and we'll come back with the one, the only, Hugh Bailey. All right, Hugh, thank you so much for joining me, man. Question. COVID-19, that's uh, <laughs> us, man. How are you doing? Are you safe? Uh, yes, we're very safe. We're uh, certainly very lucky. We live up in uh, Whangaparoa, my wife and I and our two kids, so they're keeping us busy. We've got a seven-week-old daughter uh, and a 18-month-old son. So he's full run-around mode, uh, and she's full needs a lot of care mode, the, the little girl. So um, we're very busy, uh, and we're certainly people in worse situations than we are. That must be full on, though, having two kids that young. Well, the little one actually is surprisingly cruisy, as cruisy as a seven-week-old can be. She sleeps a lot. It's a young fellow who's just a bundle of energy, has no idea what's going on in the world, which is kind of nice as well. You know, it puts everything into perspective. He has no idea about COVID-19 and the lockdowns. He just wants to run around the garden and go take the dog to the beach and stuff like that. So he certainly keeps us busy. All right, man. So for why my listeners who might not know anything about about you and, and about New Zealand media, man, um, just tell everyone uh, in general who you are and what it is that you do. Well, I'm a freelance uh, sort of presenter, commentator, journalist, but I, I do the lion's share of my work for Sky Sport. Um, and I guess you'd say I'm the face of their basketball coverage. I host all their basketball coverage, be it the Breakers games or... Um, the New Zealand NBL as well, and I commentate the New Zealand NBL. And we have a we have a weekly show called Courtside on on Sky Sport as well, which I host with Casey Frank. And it, it, 
I mean, basketball is a massively um, growing sport in, in New Zealand. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, f- for you, how did you kind of get into uh, into that into that role that you're in now? Well, it's, uh, into that role I'm in now, it's a that's a relatively long story, I guess. I because uh, I grew up in the UK um, and first came over to New Zealand. Well, I first came over to New Zealand on a rugby tour with my school first 15 yeah. uh, when I was 16 and I was a young, fresh-faced lock in the team. Sure. Um, and I we came over here and we, went, we played Papatoe High School and we played Palmerston North Boys High School. And I had a wonderful time. Obviously, growing up with a Welsh father and, and loving rugby was a religion to me, uh, as it is in Wales. Uh New Zealand was this kind of mythical place where the All Blacks came from and this team would come over to our country and smack us once once every few years and then leave. Um, so I wanted to come over and so I came back for what they call a gap year. Uh, when I finished high school, I came back and I did a gap year and I did that gap year at Palms North Boys High School. I was a, a hostel master and basically just the gap student. So doing the laundry for the rugby team, all the little things that the sports director needed me to do, I did. Did a bit of travel and absolutely just fell in love with New Zealand. It was literally, it felt like home the moment I put my foot on the ground. Um, made lifelong friends and then I went back to the UK to university because I'd already got into university before I came over here and I deferred it for a year. I went back and I studied broadcasting for three years and then as soon as I finished, uh, we had to do internships at the end and I did my best to get an internship in New Zealand and I did. Uh, TV3 as it was called then, uh, 3 News as it was called before they became News Hub and I ended up getting a job after an internship and worked there for four years. Then I went to the States for a year and I joined Sky after that. I was with Crowd Goes Wild for a few years and then I went uh, went freelance and and joined Sky Sport. So yeah, that's that's the story in a nutshell. (laughs) That sounds awesome, man. A number of questions that come from that. So, So you're from Wales originally. I have a Welsh father and an English mother. Uh, yeah. And I went to school in England um, yeah. and actually we spent a fair bit of time in Germany as teenagers, but my parents lived in Germany, but I was always at school in England, a boarding school in England with my sister once my parents moved to Germany. But uh, my dad would absolutely never let me call myself English and fair play to him. It's the best thing he ever taught me. Um, so, um, you know, we wear the red, uh, my dad and I, and his grandfather actually played for Wales. Okay. Uh, during the war, my dad played first-class rugby for Worcester, and his two brothers, two of his three brothers, played for Cardiff. Um, they were halfback in first five behind the great Gareth Edwards and Barry John. So my two uncles were in the second team at Cardiff, while the first team was Gareth Edwards and Barry John. So we come from a big rugby family. Yeah. So, so yeah, like you said, rugby was obviously really big in your family. Um, when you came to New Zealand, I assume that you had a lot of, you know, ideas about how big rugby was over here because, like you said, you know, the All Blacks, this mythical team. When you when you got here, um, what did you notice about the the New Zealand rugby sort of fraternity, as it were? Well, first of all, um, the there's a, a far more Pacific Islanders, obviously, um, in New Zealand rugby than there was in English rugby at the time. Uh, I went to a... You know, not one of the super famous, well, traditional ones, but a relatively posh English boarding school. Mm. Um, and we were a very good rugby team. We were unbeaten in our in our senior year. So when we were seventh formers, we were unbeaten. Um, we beat the Irish champions. We were a very good team. And then I came down here. And I remember I played a, I played a sevens tournament just for a bit of fun in Palmy when I, on like my third day here. And I got hit 
by a Samoan gentleman, and he hit me into the next century. Like, yeah. honestly, I'd never been hit, and I played pretty good rugby. You know, I was I was London Welsh Academy, and I was I was a relatively good junior rugby player. I was never going to be a rugby player. I certainly didn't have the mindset for it um, or the aggression. That that was, I was never going to make it. But uh, I was a good junior rugby player, and then this guy hit me, and I was just like, stuff this. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. And uh, I think the game, and I did play a little bit over here. The game has just played harder over here from a younger age. Um, mm. The the kids are bigger and stronger more skillful it's just it's a harder game to play over here and it breeds harder players you know and we see that don't we here's a here's a topical question for you because there's a lot of chat about the uh, declining state of the game and that was before you know COVID 19 in your time in new zealand like you mentioned when you first got here you had you, you noticed how how many young people were playing and, and how aggressive it was do you still notice that today or do you see a bit of a drop off? I think it's different living in Auckland to living somewhere like Palmerston North. Um, yeah. as certainly there's more, I don't, know, I don't want to say options because options are everywhere now, but I, I think there's probably is a little bit more, a uh, few more options in Auckland yeah. um, or in the bigger cities than there are in regional cities such as Palmy. Um, but I've certainly seen a drop off and we all have, right? That, that's obvious. Yeah. And, and we can see why I think from, you know, if you're a parent like I am now, my my son, do I, I mean, I think twice about him playing rugby, you know, you see all the head knocks, you see all the potential injuries you can get from playing rugby compared to playing a sport like basketball, a sport like tennis, a sport like golf. And you go, why? Well, why would we take that risk? Yeah, totally. Totally. We'll, we'll come back to that. Um, so getting into the media um, business, like you said, you got an internship um, at, mm. at TV3 and and. Mm. Doing a, a quick bit of research on you, and you know this is quite a long time. You know, like the last, how long would your career be? About fifteen. Oh, it's ten years now. I, yeah. I arrived. I arrived at TV3. Uh, my first day at TV3 was tomorrow, ten years ago. Yeah. First of April, 2010 was my first day at TV3. And do you remember Hamish Mackay? Yes. So Hamish was. I, I owe so much to Hamish and to Palmerston North Boys High School because when I was at university back in the UK and I and I was trying to trying to work my way back to New Zealand and I emailed the headmaster who was who was headmaster at Palmy then is now headmaster at Auckland Grammar Tim O'Connor and I said do you know anyone uh, in the media industry because I'm looking to do an internship um, and he said well Hamish Mackay is a famous old boy of Palmerston North Boys High School and he bleeds green and white and uh, so he put me onto Hamish and Hamish got me that internship and it was an unpaid internship for three months I was labeling tapes I was making coffees um, and basically I was just putting my hand up to do, and the, this is the, the best advice I can give anyone. I just put my hand up to do everything. I was just following guys like Andrew Gordy uh, and Michelle Pickles and Sam Ackerman and Jim Kays. I was following all these guys out onto shoots um, and Hamish and trying to go and, and watch what they do and learn how they do it. Uh, and then I got lucky a, a, a journalist by the name of Penny Ertgren left pretty soon towards the end of my internship and she used to work on a show called sports tonight and i ended up getting a job on sports tonight as a junior reporter and it all started there how did you find that like what was the first few stories that you did um the first ever interview i did was with arwen gutenbeel now, oh, no. yeah. now i am not a leaguey uh, yeah. at all and i i you know i don't dislike rugby league of course not um but it's just it's never been my game i didn't grow up watching it 
uh, in the UK. Like I said, very much a rugby union family, and we were we were living in the south of the UK, not the north. And uh, and so I had no idea who Arn Gutenbill was. And uh, Sam Ackerman, uh, who was a great help in my career, and obviously a league nut, he said, oh, I need you to go and interview Arn Gutenbill. It's my first ever interview on my own with no one with me apart from the cameraman. And I was like, sure, got it. Thinking the cameraman would know who Arn Gutenbill is. And we roll up uh, to St. Peter's College in Auckland. And uh, and, I, and I was like, and I said to the cameraman, Matt, and I was like, do you, do you know what he looks like? He's like, no idea, mate. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> and there was a big crowd of people. And I'm literally walking around with a TV3 microphone in my hand saying, has anyone seen uh, Arm Gutenbeel? Has anyone? And it's like, literally, he's standing behind me. And so a woman's like, I think he's right behind you, mate. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, of course. Oh, and good to see you. <laughs> and I had no yeah. idea what I was talking about. But I had my list of questions ready to go. And uh, it was one of those fake it till you make it kind of moments, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm glad you said that because, I mean, for me, you know, that that's certainly what I've I've noticed, you know, like those those first few interviews like when I started in, you know, 2014, 2015, it's just um, you, you really are like you go from watching these guys on TV, um, you know, maybe not in your case with Arwen, but, you, you know, to actually interviewing them and it's, it's a lot of adrenaline, eh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely it is and and things we take for granted now once you've been doing it for a while um you know it's so different to to how it was back then um yeah yeah, absolutely one of the things that i i noticed you know coming out of um you know i studied here at wintech um whilst the and i'm not trying to put down the journalism tutors at all i think they're, they're great but you you can't teach that sort of a situation, you know, say you go to a press conference and, you know, you got all these other media there and, and then the player comes up to you, you got five minutes. You, you can't teach that in, in the classroom, right? No. No, and I actually didn't study journalism, so I haven't been taught that at all. I very much learned on the job. And I, like you say, I don't think it made too much of a difference in sport compared to obviously politics and, and, and the other sort of more serious forms of journalism. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I learned, I studied broadcasting. So I learned camera work, editing, uh, directing, studio directing and, and graphics and things like that, which stood me in great stead by the time I got to Sky and, and I moved more into a broadcasting role as opposed to a journalist role. But you're right. You absolutely cannot teach uh, standing there. In fact, it reminds me of another good story. The Silver Ferns have just been selected and we're all, I got sent to, uh, this would probably be about three or four months into me doing sort of interviews on my own or being allowed to go out and do interviews on our own, and never for a proper story and just for like little bits that the presenter, Hamish or Michelle would read from the studio. Yeah. Um, and uh, Grace Rasmussen had just, had just been announced as a new Silver Fern. She was going to make her debut and she had been announced in the squad. And the uh, NZOC house or whatever, whatever it's called on Parnell, it's their old building was really small and pokey. In the, and I remember <laughs> I was about to interview Grace and we were right in the middle of the room and everyone was sort of just round us watching and like experienced journalists and the other netballers and everyone. And I was absolutely shitting myself. Grace was absolutely shitting herself because <laughs> it was yeah. like her first ever interview. It was one of my first ever interviews. Everyone was staring at us and it was a hot mess. We restarted it about four times in front of everyone. Uh, and afterwards we just kind of laughed about it. But uh yeah, those sorts of moments. I'm so, I was sweating buckets, Michael. I can tell you, it was uh, that that moment will always stay with me. And yeah, I'm sure there's probably a few journalists went home that day having a laugh at the new kid. But hey, I'm it's, sure it's, everyone goes through it. Everyone goes through it. 
the thing is too, I mean, I it goes by so quickly. I, I mean, my first interview in 2014 was Dave Rennie, and, and that was great. But the first sports person, um, it went Damien McKenzie, he was my first sports pro sportsman. He mm. was, you know, at that point, you know, we, we knew he was going to be big. I don't think he knew it yet. And, and then <laughs> after that, Sonny Bill Williams. Wow. Um, and it's just like, you know, it, it goes by so quickly and, and you don't really have a whole lot of time to, to adjust. You just have to, like you said, you know, fake it till you make it. Um, those other journos, you know, that were there on the scene, um, you know, I know for me, like guys like Nigel Yeldon and, and et cetera on, on the rugby circuit, I mean, just watching them and seeing how they handle their business, it, it teaches me a lot. Was that the same for you uh, in the respective places that you went to? One, 100%. The, you know, the work ethic of a Sam Ackerman, the the attention to detail of writing a story that Andrew Gordy puts in and still puts in these days, the, the fostering of relationships that Michelle Pickles used to do with Olympic athletes, um, Jim Kay's the, the creativity to come up with a, a story out of anywhere, uh, around a beat when he, he was the All Blacks reporter that he would do seven days a week and still manage to come up with a different story each day. All that st- sort of stuck with me. Mm. Um, but, you know, journalism was never really my my calling. I, I wanted out as soon as I was there, you know. I, well, not as soon yeah. as I was there. I, I very much enjoyed it, but I wanted to broadcast. And I wanted to do that. And it was actually watching guys like Andrew Mulligan yeah. um, over at Craig. Craig as well was where, I, was where I always wanted to be. And all those guys, Andrew Gordy, Sam Ackerman, will tell you that I always, when I was at TV3, I just always wanted to get to Craig as well. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about that, like transitioning in, into that, you know, TV sort of more TV-focused role, you know. Um, how did all that come about? I had to go away. I mean, I remember trying to get in a couple of times. I rang Rick Salizzo, who I didn't know, really. Um, and obviously, I didn't grow up here, so I didn't know uh, Rick Salizzo either from the sports cafe days until I, I've only learned that subsequently since I worked for him um, or over the years. And I rang him a couple of times trying to get a job and there was never the right thing for me. You know, he was looking for a, a kid fresh out of broadcasting school or something and it was never the right thing. And then I went overseas for a year with my my now ex-girlfriend um, and we went overseas for a year, just did the classic OE um, yeah. to uh, to the United States. So I'm a huge American sports fan, basketball, baseball, have been my whole life. So we went over, we were in San Diego for a year, did a bit of freelance work. And then when we came back, I did my best to get in to get my foot in the door at sky sport yeah um i pulled any string i could pull you know i i played baseball with the son of this former ceo i tried that <laughs> way i tried friends who i knew were there i remember emailing sumo stevenson when he was there as well trying to trying to get in and, and all sorts and then i finally got to go to i got breakfast with tex to share who's still the head of one of the bosses there now he went out for breakfast he we had a chat and he put me on to Rick Salizzo and again, lucky, pure luck. The producer of Crowd Goes Wild was going on maternity leave, yeah. um, Carol Reynolds. And so Rick goes, oh, I need a producer. Come on in. Uh, one of my best friends was a cameraman at Crowd Goes Wild already. So I think he put a good word in for me. Uh, a good friend who I, played, who I played basketball with was a cameraman there. And then in I went to Crowd Goes Wild and that was 2015, and I and I did th- three years there as the as the producer, which was a new role for me as well, producing, not not on screen. I was producing, and I got to work with Mulls and Mark Richardson at the time before he left, and James McConey, and 
it was it was wonderful it was great loved it a couple of questions that come from what you just said um just in your time over in, in america um was it was it was america wasn't it yeah yeah um did you so you said you did some freelance work did you do any in the media business over there no, I wasn't allowed to. It's really tough visa wise if you're if you're you know coming from New Zealand. So we could only work because my ex girlfriend as well was a uh, um, is a journalist now, Jenny Saw. She's she presents the Tonight Show on TV One, and she was at TV. We were at TV Three together, um, and we could only work for New Zealand companies. So we both just did some freelance stories for TV Three. We stuck with what we knew. Um, and we were more there to travel around and have a good time and do a bit of an OE, but we thought, well, keep us ticking along, we do a bit of story. So I remember going to LA, we were living in San Diego, and uh, we were, I went to LA and did a story on Glenn Snyder's, the swimmer, when he was preparing for the Commonwealth Games, and stories like that, basically. We just tried to knock a few off every now and then to keep the bank account rolling over while we were having a good time watching baseball. Totally. Um, that, what you also mentioned about, you know, doing – everything that you could to make an opportunity, whether that be sending emails, you know, getting yourself out there. Um, what was that process like for you? Was it was it one that you had any trepidation about? Because it can be very nerve-wracking. First of all, asking for details like, hey, you know, do you have Scotty Stevenson's email address or whatever <laughs> it might be? Yeah. How did you go about that? And, and did you have any, like, plan was it just um just doing anything you could to make an opportunity it was a little different for me compared to someone who was starting out afresh and that i'd done four years at tv3 i was well known around certainly around basketball circles because I'd, I'd covered the breakers extensively for those three championships they won in a row i was there for every one of those i was at breakers training every week so i got to know Andrew Mulligan well, um, because obviously him and Casey were calling the breakers then. So I got to know some of the Sky Sport crew well through Mulls uh, and through working at the breakers. Um, Sumo is a friend of Andrew Mulligan. So I think I must have got Sumo's info from Mulls, from what I can remember. Um, And so I kind of knew... I certainly knew more people and pe- more people knew me than they would if I was starting out completely. So which which makes a huge difference. What's what's interesting is is you you, you don't want to pester people, right? Especially mm, yeah. you don't the last thing you want is the boss at the place you want to work to go, "Oh, this guy is so annoying. I'm never giving him a job." And it, and that's unrealistic. They're probably unlikely to ever think that, but that goes that's the sort of thing that goes through your head, especially when you're the other side of the world trying to do this, you know? You're just yeah. firing off an email and waiting overnight to hope hope to wake up to a to an email saying, sure, I'll give you a high-paid job. Come on down, you know, yeah. and it doesn't happen. And yeah. and the interesting thing is when I got to no, yeah. and it goes wild is a very popular show, especially among uh, students uh, and young, young sports fans and for obvious reasons. And, and they would email me and they'd be like, oh, I really want a job, really want a job, really want to do this, want to do this. And it's really hard not to just be like, oh, I'll answer that in four days. And you have to tell yourself, no, actually, answer it now because you know that the kid who's written that email yeah. or the guy or girl who's written that email is hanging out for a response. Because I was yeah. like, what's that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I fully understand why CEOs and head of sports and head of news don't have the time to respond to everyone. Now I fully understand that. Now I've been in that sort of that position. But you kind of have to tell yourself, put yourself on the other guy's shoe, I think. Yeah, another thing that I I've learned um, over over the years um, is that, and you know, I'm still very young into my career, granted, but um, you know, 
people like with emails right you know pe- people were so busy particularly in this business that you know they they might forget or whatever it's always good if you can to make a phone call as well yep 100 mm, yeah. percent. but that's that's so nerve-wracking yeah <laughs> it's yeah. so it's easier said than done isn't it um, yeah. to pick up the phone and 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 i i do i remember doing the same thing i remember ringing uh richard last um who oh yes ousted uh head of sport, head of Sky Sport. Um, and I, I went and hid in one of the dressing rooms at TV3, one of the presenters' dressing rooms at TV3 because I didn't want to be caught trying to get a job at Sky. <laughs> and it yes. makes it sound like I didn't enjoy myself at TV3. I absolutely loved every minute of TV3. Um, it just wasn't for me. you know. And I, I had the conversation with Andrew Gordy back then, and he went the other way. He used to work at Sky. He really, really wanted to be a journalist, so he fought tooth and nail to get into TV3, and that never computed with me. I was like, oh, man. But obviously, everyone has different ambitions. Everyone wants to do different things, and Andrew Gordy is a, a born journalist, uh, as he proves night in, night out. So uh, for me, it was the other way. I wanted to be a broadcaster. I wanted to commentate. I wanted to present and, and work in, in live TV, live sport, and I'm lucky enough to, to do that now. Just just on on the journalism front, I'll talk to you more about the broadcasting in a minute. But you know, we we're both on social media, and, and I'm sure that we you've seen as much as I do. You know, there's a lot of criticism um, of of the media, and um, you, you know, I know from you know first starting out in mainstream, um, it's it's nowhere near as easy as it looks, and it's certainly not. Um, you know, hey, I'm going to sit down and write something that's clickbaity. Um, yeah. Do you feel that some of the – what do you make, I guess, about some of the criticisms that the public have of, let's just say, sports media in this case? It's so hard these days because I'm, I, back in the day, before I started out in this, before you started out in this, the media were so very much the middleman between mm-hmm. the sports star and the fan. Um, whereas now all sports people have got social media, um, more and more we see sports teams and sports organizations looking after their own media, filming their own interviews and putting it out, controlling their own message, uh, as well. So, you know, is the need for reporters and journalists diminishing? Perhaps, perhaps not, you know, some would say, and, and listening to your podcast, you do with Nigel Yeldon in February, you know, and he made a great point about the investor to give journalism is still so important and if you're a real sports nerd like me you know i just love those yeah. stories the ones that uh, the likes of mike hinton will go out and do yeah. or steve dean used to do back in the day you know go out and really and tuck tuck into these these stories so um <clears throat> a lot of the time i think you'll find that fans if a sports person or a sports organization has made their thoughts towards a particular uh, news organization or journalist clear that they're not very happy a fan will jump on because of course the fans gonna side with their sports star that's their hero you know yeah and, I, and i'm no different i'm a sports fan first and foremost you know when i first started it, it tried to get beaten out of me a little bit we're not fans we're journalists and i was like stuff yeah. that i'm a sports fan <laughs> you know that we're all sports fans that's why we get into it yeah yeah, yeah and totally. so, uh, so i i completely get it's certainly harder to be a journalist uh, these days, and or you just could be thick-skinned, I think, and know that you're doing the right thing, and that you stand by your story, you stand by your sources, you stand by your angle, um, and that you're you're telling the stories, and that you're more likely to hear from detractors than you mm. are from supporters. Mm-hmm. How how do you in your role now and, and prior, how do you utilize social media? I mean, is it something that you 
obviously we have to pay attention to it, right? You know, because news breaks first on social media almost mm. all the time now. Um, how do you go about using these platforms? Are, are they are they simply tools for what you do, or or what? Well, it's it's certainly different now, and it's taken me a long time to get out of the habit of of, of being a news a news hound, you know, because I'm not anymore. Uh, ever since I left Krakow's Wild, I'm I'm not. I we have a weekly show, so by the time something comes out on Thursday on Thursday, by the time we get to our Wednesday night show, it's old, it's done, you know, and we're not really a new show either. Um, we're also in a situation at Sky where we're so partnered with all the other sports that. You know, we're not. I'm not out there chasing the negative angle uh, or anything like that. I'm not chasing any angle anymore. So I use social media personally to try and show everyone that if you want basketball, New Zealand basketball news, come to us. That's yeah. what I try and use it for. Come to me, come to Andrew, come to Casey. Basically, watch courtside, watch Sky Sport basketball. You know, we, we pride ourselves on having all the basketball content now and or certainly New Zealand NBA on the breakers. And I try to use it just to keep my credibility up and say, look, I know I know what's going on with Mika Vukona. All right. So if you want to know what's going on with Mika Vukona, make sure you watch Courtside because we know what's going on. And, and it, I try and use it to drive, keep our credibility up, keep my credibility up as someone who knows what's happening in the New Zealand basketball community. I also use it for fun. You know, it's yeah. great interacting with guys like Jamie Wall, Nigel Yeldon, you know, yourself. It's great having a yarn on on social media because we can't all get together, especially right now when we're all stuck in, stuck in our own houses. Yeah. Um, it's a great way to, to share our love for sport. Definitely. Well said. Um, so what you're doing now, obviously, you know, you mentioned all, all the different roles you've got within, within basketball. Um, talk to me about that, man. I mean, are you, how busy are you and, and you enjoying it? Uh, the best decision I ever made professionally is is going freelance now. I'll caveat that by saying before coronavirus, <laughs> because um, all of a sudden no work. So I was doing last four years. I've been doing a, a weekly radio show on a Saturday morning on Trackside Radio. Um, I'd fill in for the breakfast hosts on Trackside Radio, Glenn Lama or Ricardo Ball if they're away. But both those shows are now gone because of the yeah. COVID nineteen and. Obviously, the New Zealand NBL was set to start on the 9th of April. I had 48 games of commentary lined up. That's all gone. So, I but let's put coronavirus to one. No one's fault, and there's nothing we can do about it right now. I absolutely love it. I get to spend more time at home with my wife and my kids. Um, and the things I'm going to do, I'm not going to sit in an office for all day and wait for a bit of news to come in. I go in. It's almost like task specific. I go to Spark Arena. Uh, to do that game and then I go home I don't go in all day in the morning I literally go there three four hours before a game I'm a little bit like Nigel I like to get there very very early uh, because there's nothing better than an empty gym um, do the game and leave and I go home and then the next day I have off with my family and then on Wednesday Tuesday I go into prepare courtside Wednesday uh, I go in in the afternoon and we do courtside live in the evening and then I go and then I've got Thursday Friday off unless I've got to do a shoot so I'm very task specific so it's for me it's been perfect because I want to spend a bit of time at home uh, as well so um it's been absolutely ideal and of course until this whole pandemic <laughs> yeah definitely um working you know with tv and that like so i asked nigel this about his sort of routine on on game day for example um you know walk me through your day so say the breakers are playing the you know the wildcats or whatever um walk me through your day well, that's a big one, the Wildcats, the pesky Wildcats. Yeah. Um, my day, my game day routine 
Uh, Tim, I think you actually mentioned it in your chat with with Nigel. I, I wake up and uh, I spend the morning with my family. And it makes it sound like I'm getting ready to play the game, but I think similarly you kind of are. It's the it's the climax of your week's work. Yep. Is is that game? Um, I sit down and I go through the notes I would have made. I, I go back. I try and look at the last time these two played. I watch as much of that as I can, and uh, I tend to talk to Mulls on the day uh, before we go as well. We just have a chat about you know potential storylines and as the sideline. Because once I've done the build up, which I host with Casey for half an hour, then I become the sideline reporter. So. It's quite a niche role where Andrew and Casey are calling the game, and I've got to chip in, you know, once or twice a quarter with something relevant, something, some sometimes something irreverent to try and, you know, have a bit of a laugh with the fellas or or just point something out. So I try and hunt those things out. Like I try and there's there's a man who works in the bicycle community called Mike Lacey who does a fantastic job at, at getting the uh, the most uh, interesting of stats. So I always have a chat with Mike or have an email with Mike in the week leading up to a game as well. And, prepare a few things and then so say the game starts at 7 30 my call time might be 5 15 i like to get there at four i love an empty gym i love getting there and seeing the players just warming up <coughs> um i love having a chat with the players chat with the coaches visiting players you might be former breakers or or guys who you've just got to know over the 10 years and, and the coaches who might be former players when Brisbane come to town, for example, and Andre Lamanis, Mika Vukona, CJ Bruton, Ruben Tarangi all walk in. Guys, we've, you know, I've, yeah. I've covered for years and years. I love that side of the basketball fraternity. It's wonderful, the NBL. It's so good for that. Uh, and then the crowd fills up and we have our routine. We have our little team meeting and then Andrew Casey and I go out and get a hot dog or uh, some chips and then um, they grab their Coke. They, their Coke, they always drink when they're doing the game and we come in and and away we go, and it's the same team every game, and it's it's wonderful. I, I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well said. I, I I really enjoy actually asking people about their their routines on on game day, both both players and um and media types. So you know the breakers obviously they had that. Uh, I, I don't know a whole lot about basketball. I'm going to be honest. I'm more in the rugby cricket space. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Breakers had that, that title run that they had. And, and, I mean, it seems to me, looking from afar, that the popularity of the NBL and the Breakers, similar to the Phoenix, actually, in the A-League, it, it's just it's growing every single week. Um, as somebody who's been on the scene for quite a while, ha- have you noticed that? And, and what's the journey been like? watching you know the breakers go from you know just oh they're caught in a basketball team to you know a, a major sports brand in this country it's been phenomenal it's uh, you know it's kept me employed for one so you know i owe the breakers a lot for that but it's um it's been phenomenal that the growth of basketball has just been incredible and you can see why you know we mentioned about uh, more traditional sports rugby rugby league and, and why parents might not want their kids to play that i think also comes into it the accessibility of watching guys like lebron james mm. uh, you know if you go around uh you know you see kids leaving school and or around the weekend how many of them are wearing nba singlets how many nba singlets you see in the summer you know so many because nba league pass and we have premier league pass so you can watch english football as well now and german football and spanish football so those sports that are global the two biggest sports in the world uh, kind of making that have, have made their way down here, obviously, in a bigger sense to, to the wider sporting public, I think, in the last 10 years or so. 
Um, and the Breakers and the Phoenix have taken advantage of that. The Breakers, especially up in Auckland, yeah. those championships certainly helped. Got a few people on board and they do such a good job of entertaining and, and putting on a great night that those people have stuck around, become lifelong fans. Um, and then uh, and then when Matt Walsh and, and the new era took over, they took it up a next level of entertainment and, and of trying mm. to get fans involved. And, uh, you know, while the results haven't been there the last couple of years, the most amazing thing this season that we always talk about was it used to be, Michael, that if the breakers lost or went on a losing streak the fans would just diminish and you'd be and they'd be playing in front of you know maybe not even a thousand this season you know they were two and eight two wins and eight losses and they were still getting eight nine thousand people at spark arena now i remember yeah. the first ever game at spark arena and we thought it was audacious you know oh you think you can fill out spark arena you know from the north shore event center to spark arena and then they just did two a year that became three a year that became four a year and once they realized they had it they could go full-time at spark arena so they've grown it smartly the breakers and they uh, they deserve every success they get. From a broadcast perspective, I did a piece for Radio New Zealand earlier in the year about some of the challenges that rugby is facing in that broadcast space because if you look at you know Sky TV is the paywall, right? You know it's pay per view. Um, if you look at like the NBA, NFL, even they do like weekly games might just be one game, but on platforms like Twitch, like YouTube, that are free and accessible, particularly to young people. Um, I guess the question is, like, there's a lot of challenges um, for you and your team about delivering this product um, well before COVID-19 to Mm. an ever-growing audience because currently you're just serving the market that is Sky TV. Granted, it's a big market, but you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. You're 100% right, and that's a general. I don't know whether that's a specific to New Zealand um, problem, but it certainly is. Oh, whether problem's even the right word. And obviously, I need to be careful what I say as someone who, yeah, yeah. who works for Sky, and, and I do love working for Sky, and I think, I think we produce world-class sports television. But um, the issue is, and we're certainly seeing it now with this COVID-19 um, pandemic is that sky props up so many sports through the money you know it provides the sports without sky tv some sports wouldn't be around at the level they're around at right now um and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing you can make arguments both ways um and it's the same with basketball you know a lot of money comes from sky to basketball and their deals with the breakers obviously they're the sky sport breakers now officially as well um the new zealand nbl um and, and everything so uh you're right you're right i would love would i love it if it was on free-to-air tv but is there a free-to-air broadcaster out there who can put it every single game free-to-air in a weekly show no there's not right now you know so it's it's which one do you want if you're a if you're that yeah. into the basketball and into the breakers, you, you get Sky. Or you get at least what what we're seeing now under this new regime, which is wonderful, is yeah. stuff like Sky Sport now. You yeah. know that you can buy for a, for a month or a week and stuff like that, which which make a big difference, I think. And at the end of the day, it, it is a business, and and you're exactly right about how important the broadcaster is. I mean, look, look no further than New Zealand rugby, but if you even go further, yep, the breakers, but lots of uh, the Auckland Tuatara. You, you, you know what? Mm. Having that on Sky has done for for that that sport is is incredible. So, um, given I want to ask you a wee bit about COVID nineteen. So, 
I mean, like I said to Jamie yesterday on the podcast, you know, we're pretty much all um, redundant at this point uh, yeah. for, for, for the next wee while anyway. Um, what, in terms of the basketball space, like, what's going on there? I mean, obviously there's no NBL at the moment. Is there any sort of plans um, for, for for basketball from what yeah. you're hearing? Yeah, I, I mean, from what I hear, they have a plan for a uh, compacted competition should, you know, the lockdown finish and we go back to relative normality. Yeah. Um, so the NBL, of course, was supposed to be the biggest season yet. Every, 112 games set to be broadcast yeah. um, live, you know, broadcast on, on Sky and on Sky Sport Next, which is another thing we haven't mentioned, how many games they now put on YouTube and Prime and stuff. But uh, um from what I hear, they're talking about an eight-week stilted competition where it'll be in one. All the teams go to one city and play yeah. over three nights, and then the next week they go to another city and play over three nights, and just a way to get it out there. Because I think what some people forget, and then and I fully understand someone out there going, "Well, look, what do we need sports for? Like, why are you trying?" You know, and the people hammer the NRL for trying to keep playing and the and the AFL for, for keeping playing, but. And I, and I fully get that, you know, when it comes to global pandemics and people dying, sport certainly takes a backseat, you know, 100%. But so many people's livelihoods are involved in sporting leagues, not just the athletes. And it's easy for people to say, oh, they make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, you know what? In the New Zealand NBL, they don't. Yeah. Um, you know, these guys don't. The highest paid guy in the NBL might make $45,000 over the whole season. And that is very, that there's a handful of players, if that. You know, there's the majority of the guys aren't making aren't making are in single figures. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, and then you add in people who work around the teams and the people who work for the broadcasts. For my, myself, it's, I've lost 100 percent of my income for, mm. for the next however many, however long. And uh, like I said at the start, I'm lucky enough to, you know, to be in a better position than some other people are. Some people aren't, you know, so I fully understand why some sports tried to keep going. So I think it's great in New Zealand, NBL, basketball in New Zealand have got that plan to try and do something when they can, obviously when, when it's safe enough to do it. Next question, Hugh. I mean, obviously yesterday we were all devastated by the radio sport news. Um, what was your reaction to that? Just gutting, just gutting, you know. Um, I'm, I get I get to go on regular uh, radio sport regularly and talk, especially during the breaker season. You know, I'm more than happy to jump on and yarn with, with guys like Jim, guys like Nigel, Jason Pine, Daniel McCarty, just fantastic sports broadcasters who keep us entertained. And I'm not a huge radio guy. You know, I don't turn the wireless on at home. But driving, <clears throat> it, driving. if I'm overseas, I grab it on iHeartRadio. It, it's, it's gutting. And so many wonderful people have come out of there. You know, yeah. think of the likes of Guy Havelt, who does such a good job on TV1, doing those investigative stories we, we spoke about. Um, you know, he's a product of radio sport. And it's so Tim Evans, who works at Sky, uh, does a lot of the documentaries and, and works on the, worked on the career coverage. He's another one. So many uh, great guys have come out of radio sport. And I just cannot imagine, I put this on Twitter, I cannot imagine a New Zealand without a dedicated sports radio station. And I honestly don't think we will be without one for long. Whether it comes back in the form it was in or whether it comes back online, you know, which seems to be what more and more what happens these days, you know, because while you're driving, every, most people have got Bluetooth in their car or whatever, and they can get, they can listen to it online. Um, I wonder if uh, if that's what's going to happen. I don't think they'll be down for long, and I certainly know that the fine people who work there won't be down for long because the opportunities will come flooding for them. 
Yeah. No, definitely, man. Um, I guess I always end with this sort of question. Um, how old are you, man? 31. Wow, still very young, man. Um, what, what's next for you? I mean, do, do you have a plan about what you want to do, you know, moving forward in, in this business? You know, I've... Um... That's a, that's a great question. You know, I who knows what's next for any of us right now, <laughs> yeah. uh, for sure. But I love doing what I'm doing. I love working in New Zealand basketball. I've just started the process of writing a book uh, about Tall Blacks legends. So I've been spending the lockout so far interviewing uh, my the most legendary Tall Blacks you can imagine over over Skype and uh, online and and getting as much info as I can about them as I sort of work on this this passion project and. Um, I hope, within hope, that we get back to a normality where Breakers games are back on TV and Tall Blacks games are too, and I can keep rolling. You know, I've I've always got this, and it's probably going to sound corny as anything, but in American sports in particular, you know, you, you see those broadcasters, Vin Scully or whatever, you know, get to get to the end of a long career and they're in their 60s or 70s and they get the big sign off in the middle of the court. For some reason, that you know, I'd love, I'd love. I'm perfectly happy here in New Zealand. I can't think of a better place to raise children. Um, you know, I consider myself a, a proud New Zealander, even if I'm an adopted one. Um, and I've just, I would love it to get back to normality because I don't think you realize what we all have until we didn't yeah. have it. Um, you know, so any potential, oh, maybe I'm getting stale here. All that goes out the window when you don't have anything and you're like, you know, I want it to go back because <laughs> I loved hooking up every week with Casey Frank and doing our thing and and I'm, and I'm really interested to see what the next generation because basketball broadcasting is relatively in its infancy uh, at, at the level that it's at in New Zealand I'm, I'm interested to see what the next level of broadcast is going to be like especially the former players is someone like a Tom Abercrombie going to emerge as the next Casey Frank who knows you know um, and, and things like that and I think we're going to see so many young kids coming out of broadcasting school coming out of radio school who for the first time in a long time, uh, maybe ever in New Zealand, basketball is going to be their number one sport. Yeah. You know, so I'm keen for a bit of competition out there as well. Not that there isn't none. And I, I bow down to the likes of Mark Hinton 100% and, and Andrew Mulligan. I'm very much low on the pecking order, but I'm keen uh, to see the next generation of basketball broadcaster arrive. Awesome. Well, Hugh, thanks so much for joining me, man. I really enjoyed the chat. My pleasure, mate. My pleasure. Anytime. I enjoy, love the work you're doing. I love, I love following you along on social media as well. Cool, man. Thanks for that. All good, bro. Have yourself a great day.